whilst we always think of online as like how we present things is, a, is this kind of amazing opportunity and it's got it's so exciting it's actually so much less exciting to me a lot of the time than print where every time you're starting with a naked page and you can do whatever you want on that page this is the talent show a new podcast series from ft talent a hub of innovation from the financial times it's hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. All right, another episode of The Talent Show. And today I have uh, the pleasure to have with me on the great table of the podcast studio, Joe Ellison, that is uh, the HTSI editor and the FT Weekend deputy editor. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Hi, very nice to meet you. Very nice to see you here. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I think everyone would love to know more about your career path. How okay. did you get here at the Financial Times? But I studied history at Edinburgh University. Um, I then went and did completely random other jobs that had nothing to do with journalism whatsoever for about four years. And then I moved to Ireland. And the only job really, the only kind of work that was available in the city was there was a newspaper, which was a locally produced and printed newspaper called The Examiner, The Irish Examiner. And they were looking for sub-editors. And so I applied. They gave me the opportunity to be a kind of intern. So I went in there and on my first night on the desk subbing, which is when you're basically kind of checking uh, copy for spelling mistakes and typos, writing headlines. I mean, nowadays also it would mean writing all the kind of web cells and things as well. Um, And I just realized this was like heaven. It was like my job, my job and my I just wanted to be in that environment. I loved putting together the newspaper. I loved seeing it happen. I later moved to London. I worked with the independent newspaper on their kind of arts coverage and features. And then I went to British Vogue as features director. I was there for about seven years. And then I saw a job. Um, I heard about a job opportunity that was coming up at the FT and um, I applied and I got it. So um, that was a long time ago again. And then as of the last three years, I've been at HTSI, which I applied for whilst I was in that other job. You made it sound very easy. <laughs> But I think there were a few opportunities that you might have crossed paths and, of course, your talent. Uh, but what do you name, what, what you just said now is that you moved a bit more from the arts Yeah. I've always the... had yeah I think you know I think a lot of people go into journalism with a very strong idea of like the area that they want to cover they have a really strong kind of passion for a specific kind of uh, area of expertise and certainly at the FT I think people are quite um you know they they come into the to roles which they have experience in already um but actually I think also a lot of people are quite generalist. I think a features editor generally is, is a very generalist subject. You might be looking at kind of football one day. You might be doing um, something about religion the next. You might be doing fashion coverage. You might be doing environmental um, studies or essays. So you're kind of looking at a lot of things across the board all the time. And actually, when I started in journalism at the at the examiner I was also looking after the op-ed pages I was looking after the environmental pages so I was really like kind of really broad I had a really broad range of kind of areas to get into and I guess slowly over the years I 
narrowed that down so that when I did the fashion job at the FT, it was the most specific job I've ever done. Um, and now I'm back to lifestyle magazine editing. I'm back to doing everything again. So I think, you know, like one one common ingredient for all our FT experts has been curiosity. Have you ever thought about yourself as a, a brand, as a person? Have you ever thought about yourself and now maybe about your experts and journalists and that at that risk? Um, I think the idea of the of the journalist as brand is a relatively recent phenomenon. I mean, obviously, we've always had star columnists or there have always been people who are kind of going to be really high on the masthead um, as influencers on the paper. But I think until about 10, 15 years ago, those people would have always been considered part of the brand which they represented as opposed to necessarily brands in their own right. But obviously, I think social media totally transformed that as a as a kind of as an opportunity for people to create their own individual brands and also to have a life outside of the organization that they work for. I mean, and it's still a very kind of gray area because, you know, whilst you're under contract to an organization, you are, you know, to a certain extent responsible um, for the opinions that you have being a reflection of the brand that you work for. Um, I think that having your own platform, though, like a Twitter, I, I'm very involved in Instagram because I work in a very visual magazine. But I've never really thought about it very strategically. So I try and be honest about who I am, but also promote the things that I love and that I'm working on on social media as well. So I, I try and do something which shows as, mu as much of myself and my opinions and my, and my life as I care to share or anyone would care to look at, but also then to sort of talk about, like, I love this cover or this is why I love this piece that we've done this week or this is why I love this cover or this is an exclusive and we're excited about it. But I think, you know, it's all about keeping a bit of a balance between, uh, uh, you know, um, what you want to um, show in terms of, like, your passions and uh, as well what you're working on. And I think it's, you know, it's a very interesting platform to really, you know, promote. Yeah. Um, and increasingly, if I'm employing somebody or if I'm commissioning somebody, the first place I'm going to look at is Twitter and Instagram to see... If it's a photographer, I'm going to check out their work. Um, if uh, And also because I'm going to check out their work and I'm going to check out their curation of their work. So I'm interested to know how they want to present themselves, you know, as opposed to a website or something which is a more kind of like broader base. And then if it's a writer, I'm going to look at what they've written. So I'm going to look at their Twitter account. I'm going to check out their opinions. I want to see what they're like as a personality as much as the person that they are as a kind of professional entity. So I think, you know, we can't escape from the fact that that's how people do their research as well now as well. We are touching on social media. So what do you think are the biggest challenges for uh, uh, HTSI in general and um, as well for your kind of expertise when it comes to new technologies, new digital tools, challenges as well as opportunities? Um, uh, I think it's really interesting. I mean, HSI or How to Spend It As Was is a massive format print magazine that comes out every most weekends. And it's kind of, you know, it's sort of USP is the fact that it's like got these huge, luxurious, shiny photographs on huge pages. And how the biggest challenge constantly for us is how to make this look good on a digital platform, which actually, ironically, is incredibly limited. You know, an online story has about four different like image spaces that you can put something in. It's it's a constant challenge to make something come to life online. And I think 
whilst we always think of online as like how we present things is, a, is this kind of amazing opportunity and it's got it's so exciting it's actually so much less exciting to me a lot of the time than print where yeah. every time you're starting with a naked page and you can do whatever you want on that page it's you know there are infinite possibilities so that for me is the biggest challenge is trying to make it work on multiple multiple levels multiple platforms you know are people reading it on their phone are they reading it on a on a um, on an iPad are they reading it on a desktop what time of day are they reading it are they reading it at 5 a.m because they're getting up for work are they reading it on Saturday morning because they're you know getting ready for a weekend so it's about curating a an experience that works through the week and looking at the stories that you're commissioning and how you're presenting them at different times of day and night to different audiences a lot of the time and then how you're going to deliver that on Instagram and then how you're going to deliver that on Twitter and god forbid TikTok if we ever go on TikTok of course the your industry is changing a lot. When I'm talking about um, fashion industry here, uh, we have, uh, of course, had as well many challenges around the future of fashion. One has been sustainability and the other one is uh, DNI, so the diversity and inclusion. Do you have any interesting stories? Do you think there is so much more innovation coming from uh, the traditional brands or is more about startups out there, younger people building their own little empires with sustainability as a keyword? I think it's, I mean, I, I mean, just to reiterate, I don't only look after fashion. So it's a lifestyle magazine. So travel is a huge issue for sustainability because there's a massive amount of pressure on like how many airplane journeys we make every year and like what constitutes a kind of sustainable holiday. If you're going to Bali and helping recycle rubbish, but you've thrown, you know, you've flown thousands of miles to get there etc etc um, and like living and lifestyle and building houses and concrete and you know fashion is obviously kind of held up regularly as being one of the worst offenders when it comes to its sustainability practices and so therefore there is a huge amount of pressure and I think that you know the eye is on it because we throw away so many clothes we throw away so much stuff um I actually think the solutions will be found through partnerships with the startups and the bigger heritage brands or the weirdly enough I think the fast fashion retailers who you know Zara signed um, a really interesting thing about recycling raw materials the other day and I don't think it's worth you know if you divide people up into kind of enemy camps you're like these are bad these are good this is all right this isn't it's it's not going to really get anywhere you're not going to be able to build in the thing because you need the resources of the fashion houses with millions of pounds at their disposal who can like put money into the technologies that you're going to need to kind of create these solutions. I mean, they, they're so expensive. They're so resource heavy. They need, you know, you need proper investment into them. So the startup that's developing that needs the support of a bigger brand to kind of like give it, give it the, you know, momentum it needs. So I think it's a case of like trying to kind of keep your eyes open to all of it. Be very aware that there's a lot of greenwashing. I mean, you know, you know, at the end of the day, probably the most sustainable thing for us would be not to buy anything ever again but that would mean my magazine had like nowhere to go but i think it's um i think it's just really important to kind of try and have a uh open-minded dialogue about it and to try and see ways to bring the right people together it's all about connecting people i think and creating opportunities around stuff that can that can be made to happen rather than saying right those people are like you know out of the picture and they're all wrong and this is like you know what they're doing is bad um I mean obviously there are bad practices that happen everywhere but I think it's about having a dialogue at all times when it comes to of course a lifestyle and uh younger generation and uh, social media and all their activities, uh, 
how much they comment, how much they interact with uh, um, your brand and generally, you know, the FT brand. Did you uh, need to adapt to the audience out there and try to build this dialogue you were uh, talking about a bit more like with the audience itself? I think it's really varies because, you know, you look at the FT, it's a subscriber-based model. The readership is like of a certain age, average age, and of a certain income. You look at Instagram, open field, like anyone can come to it, anyone can engage. So you've got to appreciate the fact that the people that you're speaking to aren't consistent. There isn't just one FT audience. I mean, I think personally that we get a bit lost in the core sometimes because we care about them so deeply that we don't always think about like the kind of huge engagement you might have outside of that. I mean, certainly for me, I'm in fashion. I'm not core. This is not a kind of core interest of your average FT reader who wakes up in the morning and goes and works in the city. So I think for me, I've always been quite a little bit adjacent to the kind of bigger agenda that's going on daily on the news desk. Um, And I am looking at kind of all sorts of different things. But my point of my my kind of idea of, I guess, listening or kind of audience engagement is for me to, I've always kind of had multiple different audiences in mind with every story or when I'm planning an issue, which is to consider the core reader who is, let's say, a man in his 50s with a sort of, you know, sort of income of certain amount. He's going to be reading on things on his desktop in the morning. He's probably going to be interested in like the future of the suit or what's going on with shoes or like where's the hot hotel or restaurant to eat at tonight. Then I'm looking at the person who's coming to Instagram on a Wednesday morning who's looking at our cover, probably the average age 35 and under. Um, They are looking for a very different thing. They might be looking for kind of beauty news. They might be looking for cosmetic advice. They might be looking for celebrity interviews. They're looking for things that are maybe slightly different. And then I'm thinking about people like me. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a kind of mother. You know, so you you just got to think your audience is never one thing. I think the problem sometimes when you are looking at data is that you go to all these averages to go this is what the kind of like consolidated average you know audience person is this is the core and I'm always about it's about the core but it's also all the voices that kind of go into that and you know I I try not to get lost in any one comment field. I look at the Instagram comments. I look at what people are responding to on Twitter. I look at the articles themselves at article level. I look at the editors that come into the, you know, the the letters that come into the editor. They're very different people. They've all got an opinion. And then also you've got to listen to the desk. You've got to listen to the intern. You've got to listen to the junior designer. You've got to listen to the senior designer. Everyone has a kind of valid opinion. And, like, you know, everyone has a kind of a a right to say what they think about something. And I think that a lot of the time is where you get your the engagement and the reaction you need. You need to stress test things all the time. So it's a very long answer. Maybe looking a bit forward, um, generally, of course, for roles like uh, like yours and uh, technologies, we say and we hear quite a lot, oh, a lot of the jobs that we have today won't exist in the next five or ten years because of technologies, because of uh, algorithms, because of AI. Do you think, editorially speaking, your job or your colleague's job will change drastically or the human acumen and uh, perspective will always be unique um i don't know i've been thinking about this i was listening to a podcast this morning about a company which was a creative agency that had been um, using ai interns and you know ultimately i think with the right prompts ai will be this incredible labor saving kind of facility that we will use to 
do a lot of things that are very data related. So look out, you know, data journalists, because you're in trouble. <laughs> and you'll always want, you always need people to interpret that and to kind of put a spin on it and have an opinion about it. Um, I do think I am replaceable by a computer, to be honest. I think it's, um, I do think it is like feasible. I mean, it's, they look how intelligent they become in only three months. I mean, God knows where we're going to be in a year. And they're already doing these kind of incredible manipulations, which you do wonder about the future of photography and like, do we ever need to go on a location again? And But obviously, like the human experience, the kind of, you know, on an existential level, I think there is obviously some value in the yeah. human mind. Um, so one hopes that there's going to be a role for us all. But I think, weirdly, it is going to be in that branding and that opinion and... You know, my, my daughter's about to go to university and I'm like, God, what the hell are you going to do? Join a band. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. What is a job that's like safe for the future? Who knows? At the moment, I feel a little bit scared about it. What about the younger talent that are joining uh, your team and the HTSI at large? Uh, where do you see them coming from and what's their background? You know, we're not just writers and editors you know there's a huge art department there are people who are designing there's a fashion team who are creating shoots and working with photographers and they've all come through quite different routes um i i think the one thing of the one thing that's consistent is they've all got a lot of quite broad experience so they've worked in different places and they have pretty um easygoing attitude to the things that they've done as well in the past like I, I've always I'm always very um, strict with anyone about narrowing their focus too early you need to get experience you need to do what is necessary and it's not going to no one's going to present the, the, the career of your dreams on into your lap and the first job you do you've you gotta kind of put in the work how do you select the brands that you would like actually to work with, partner with? How do you go about it? Because it's it's an amazing commercial opportunity for, for these brands, right? Once they are out on the FT. So how do you manage this? It's, um, it's something I've been doing since, I guess I went to Vogue, where you're kind of very clearly aware of the fact that you have like, I guess, let's face it, commercial obligations. Um, and there are people who are, Um, hugely involved in the financial success of the organization you work in um, and to whom you need to kind of show some sort of support. Um, but within that, you have to think that the story that they are bringing to you has some sort of integrity. So it's usually that it is a good story. Like, would I want to read about this? Like, do I care? Like, as a punter, is this something that would interest me at all? Then it's about exclusivity for us all the time. Like, is anyone else writing about this? It's about how much access you get. So if you're going to do, for example, a shoot with Frank Ocean or Pharrell Williams, how long have you got? How much time are you going to get? How long is the, you know, how much exclusivity is there going to be around this? Like, all of those things. So you're kind of putting together a package that you think is going to be interesting to your reader. Is it a story that someone hasn't told about a brand before? Is there something behind the brand that you didn't know about? Like, So you're kind of looking around the brand all the time. And I think a lot of the time you're also trying to look for bigger consumer trends so that you're not simply telling brand specific stories you're trying to kind of talk about a, a general thing that's happening that you know people have noted um so I guess that would be a very long-winded way of saying and I also think some brands are huge 
And actually, what's interesting is like, why are they huge? You know, why is Bernard Arnault now the richest man in the world? I mean, it's interesting. It, it should be interesting. That's why, I mean, I read this Financial Times. They presumably want to know about the richest man in the world or they want to know about the brands that he manages and how they've got to this place and like what's going on. I mean, culturally, as well as anything else, it should have a bit of a, you know, there should be more dialogue about that as well, right? Absolutely. And I think that's um, something that, of course, the digital age, in, in a sense of like new platforms, has uh, allowed us as well to discuss. Uh, one last question. Uh, how do you see your job and yourself in uh, 10 years? I think, I think with any brand, publishing brand at the moment, obviously the big focus for everyone is to think about brand extension and reader engagement beyond the kind of written text or, you know, or the digital kind of, you know, website and how that brand can speak in other fields and opportunities. So I think probably with all publishing, all houses, what they look like in 10 years' time will be as much about the live events and the festivals and the kind of, you know, award ceremonies and the kind of curated talks and dinners and extra things that they are bolting on to the kind of core product, which is still a lifestyle magazine. Um, but I think increasingly it will become the kind of top of the prism or the pyramid Um, out, out after which there's kind of this whole kind of diaspora of other events that are kind of tied to it. A lot of takeaways from uh, this chat with Joe Allison. So a uh, different part of our podcast is always bringing some of these young audiences to the table because we don't want to just preach, but we also do. So we got Enrique and Federica that are joining us here in the studio to ask you, Joe, two questions. Federica, tell us a bit about you and of course ask your question. Great. Um, hello. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, my name is Federica. I'm an art, creative and visual director. Um, I'm Italian. I'm from Milan, but I moved to London seven years ago. So I guess my question is, because I didn't go to uni personally, because I was young and I didn't particularly know exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I decided that my choice was going to be getting to the industry Um, at the bottom of it and work my way up um, to eventually find what I wanted to do. And it worked for me. But because there's so many courses nowadays, there's so many um, incredible schools that offer um, yeah, great courses, uh, my question, I guess, would be um, if you were to hire a candidate within your division, would you prioritize experience or an academic background? I think it really depends on the role that you're looking for. And I think, as you said, you're in... Sorry, did you say it was... Art direction. Art yeah. direction. So I think for art direction, I would prioritize experience. Yeah. Um, because I don't... I mean, I don't think there's that many people that would have studied graphic design yeah. at college that actually has a huge amount of practical application in the kind of world of publishing per se. So I would much rather, in a way, know that someone had interned, say, for a year at Republica, or they'd been somewhere working, you know, in any one kind of European sort of city where they had experience, like they gained experience in like basic layout or they understood the kind of processes of picture research. I think for that kind of a role, I very rarely look at where per, per person studied. Having said that, if it's someone who's looking for a role as a kind of junior reporter, um, 
you know, they're often starting right out. So all they have is their university career. And and that also, I'm not going to sit there and say, what did you do your kind of like MA thesis on? Let's really get into the weeds with, you know, your understanding of like Byzantine history. Um, I think it just means that they've had an opportunity to kind of like write essays and they've thought about like, but everything, they're going to learn on the job. Yeah. In our department, there's probably fewer graduates than there would be or across the rest of the paper because, you know, a fashion stylist does not need to have studied fashion at college yeah. to be a great stylist. I mean, they just don't. So I think that's... Uh, although, I have to say, my one of our fashion editors <laughs> studied architecture, yeah. so I should shut up. But, it, you know, it's like, it's just, it's different. It's totally yeah. different. So I think it really depends on the role and then it depends on the individual. Um, but I don't think anything is... It should preclude you from getting to sort of the interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enrique, over to you. Enrique, you work at the FT, right? Yes, <laughs> correct. Hello, my name is Enrique. I'm originally from Madrid, Spain. And uh, my background involves fashion business, communication and new media. And luckily, I found a, a position here at the FT in luxury and weekend advertising. So in the commercial side of the products. My question would be, can you speak about the importance of visual storytelling in HTSI and the FT Weekend portfolio? And how do you work with photographers and videographers to create compelling stories? Okay, right, to start from the beginning then, what, um, how do we think about the visual presentation of a story? I think what's really, it's kind of like our mantra um, with all editorial commissions on HTSI is, we start with, which is probably unlike anywhere else in the paper, how are we going to illustrate this? So any idea can be brilliant. It's like, what's it going to look like? How are we going to make this? What's, what are we going to run with this? What's the visual? Um, because it's a massive page in the magazine and on even online. It's like, I just want to know what I'm seeing when I'm listening, you know, when I'm thinking about this story. So it's a very inverse process, I think, to like 99% of the journalism at the FT, which could run with a picture of like, you know, a bank door or a brand logo, which is kind of what most of them are. We're always like visuals, visuals, visuals. So it's like, it's like kind of, it's a hope at this point, it's sort of, almost sort of second nature that people don't even think about an idea unless they've kind of also like loads of people pitch with a whole set of visual references so then you can check it out and be like okay does this work does this trend look nice does this does it does this collection of artists that are kind of being presented to us a trend do we like the work do we you know it's and it's a very, I mean, God, and visual, you know, so subjective because so I kind of, I <laughs> I have to like it. But then if everyone else likes it as well, then great. But, you know, we do a lot of kind of back and forth. We look at mood boards, we look at tones, we look at, you know, also within the kind of breadth of the magazine. Is it too samey? Obviously, you can't have like four country houses in a row. You need to have something, you know, you want to have something maybe grand and old and British, you want something modern and European, you want something that kind of like looks towards Asia or just a completely different, you know, area. So it's about finding balance as well. So a lot of the time we're like, that's nice, but we've got this. So do we actually need, you know, what do we need as well? Thank you so much, Joe. I cannot thank you enough for all the inspiring tips and as well answering the questions of Enrique Federica. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed listening to you today. And thank you for listening to us to another episode of The Talent Show. Check it out. Check, of course, The Financial Times. And of course, you cannot miss the next edition of HDSI that is coming out with FT Weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
This has been the Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stagni. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Interested in going to business school? I have a suggestion for you today. You can get the best advice from admission centers and officers and successful alumni with a new newsletter from the Financial Times. MBA 101, a new weekly email series. You can learn everything you need to know about applying for the best MBA programs out there in just six weeks. Sign up MBA 101 on the Financial Times website.